morning church. Uh, So we're going to be reading Jonah chapter 2. I'm sure it's shocking to those of you who were here last week uh, that we're in the second chapter, but here we are. Um, If you guys had a chance to read it all as a whole um, before today, then great. If you didn't, don't worry. We're going to continue reading and you can follow along. So Jonah chapter 2. While Jonah was inside the fish, he prayed to the Lord his God and said, When I was in danger, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I was about to die, so I cried to you, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the sea, down, down into the deep sea. The water was all around me, and your powerful waves flowed over me. I said, I was driven out of your presence, but I hoped to see your holy temple again. The waters of the sea closed around my throat. The deep sea was all around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. When I went down to where the mountains of the sea start to rise, I thought I was locked in this prison forever, but you saved me from the pit of death, Lord my God. When my life had almost gone, I remembered the Lord. I prayed to you, and you heard my prayers in your holy temple. People who worship useless idols give up their loyalty to you. But I will praise and thank you while I give sacrifices to you, and I will keep my promises to you. Salvation comes from the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish threw up Jonah on the dry land. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, actually I'm looking this way because uh, Joel has set up a phone so that we're on Instagram Live as well. So if you see me looking back and forth, that's why I'm not like having some kind of twitch or something like that. Um, uh, Also, I just want to quickly apologize to anybody out there who's having some issues with the live stream. It seems like things have settled down. Not sure what was going on, but um, hopefully you can hear me and see me all right. And if there is issues, just to let you know, we are recording this. We, will, we can re-upload this later on if, there, if the issue continues. But let's get to Jonah part two. Now, there is this old joke that I have heard a lot, like just a ton of times. So I'm kind of betting that some of you may have heard this too, but it's so applicable to what we're going to talk about today that I'm willing to take that risk. And if you've already heard this, I apologize in advance. But it goes like this. There's a teacher who has one student in particular that's just refusing to sit down in their seat. Like, for whatever reason, today was the day that they decided they were going to take a stand. Literally. So, of course, there's this bit of back and forth between the teacher and the student trying to get the student to sit down. And finally, the teacher threatens the student that... Uh, they're going to call or contact the student's parents. And apparently that's a big enough threat to finally get the student to sit down in their seat. And so the student sits down, but on their face, you can just tell they're not happy. They're like, they're not glad that they're sitting down and they raise their hand as they sit down. And the teacher asks them, Oh, thank you. Like says, Oh, thank you for sitting down. What do you have to say? And the student says, I may be sitting down on the outside, 
but I am standing up on the inside. If you remember from last week, one of the main things we need to remember when reading Jonah is that it's a mirror. That we should be checking ourselves against what we're reading in Jonah, and once again, you don't want to look like Jonah. We also saw in the first chapter how Jonah was out of touch with his surroundings, and that led him to forgetting how powerful God was. It led him to being the least righteous person on a boat full of pagan sailors. It led him to missing a golden opportunity to point people to God. Like I said, you don't want to be like Jonah. In fact, there was some interesting wordplay that I didn't mention last week that was happening in Jonah 1. And it this wordplay helps drive the point home because again, Jonah is written like satire. It's using wording and exaggerated um, setups to help drive these points home. Because notice this. God comes to Jonah and he tells Jonah to rise up and go up to Nineveh. But Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then he gets on a boat and he goes down into the boat. And during a storm, the boat captain tells him to come up and go come up to call out to God, but Jonah doesn't do that. Instead, he gets thrown down into the sea, and finally he gets goes down into the belly of a fish. Jonah has been heading in the wrong direction this whole time. And as we come to chapter 2, many see this as a turning point for Jonah, and it almost is. But in classic Jonah fashion, we're going to see how a person can be sitting down on the outside, but standing up. On the inside. So as we start to look at our passage today, we can see that Jonah's backup plan failed, right? Jonah's, Jonah thought that if he could die, he would get out of his responsibility of going to Nineveh. But God was prepared for him. And so the prophet traded the belly of a ship for the belly of a fish. And it is there that we finally get to see that Jonah starts to get in touch with his surroundings. Now, Rachel, again, read all of chapter 2, and I want you to keep your Bibles open to chapter 2 because I'm going to be referring to different verses throughout. Now, I'm not going to reread all the verses, but I'm going to look at key phrases from each one. For instance, please look at verse 2 with me, and let's notice some things. First, it says that Jonah is crying out to God in his distress. Remember, this is the first time that Jonah is prayed during this whole story. And where is he when he finally talks to God? Well, he's in the belly of a fish. It took such extreme circumstances to get Jonah to turn to God. He didn't pray when there was a storm. He didn't pray when he was tossed into the sea. I mean, because of the timing of his prayer, and it says that he was already in the fish for a while before he prayed this, like, Jonah didn't even pray right away when he was eaten by the fish. Like, it took him so long to seek out God. And so, of course, the question you should be asking yourself is, when do you turn to God? Like, it might not take being swallowed by a sea monster to get you to pray to God, but do you find that you only pray when it's times are hard? Or at least, is that the time like where you mostly pray? Do you find that when times are going, when things are easy and you're uh, enjoying life, that you seem to forget that prayer is an essential part of life? And notice that in verse 2, Jonah also says he's in a certain place 
that he's calling out from. And he says he's in Sheol. Um, and real quick, I just want to give a quick definition. Sheol is, in the Old Testament especially, is just the grave. Like, this is where everybody ends up when they die. So I want to point this out because Jonah is crying out after he realized that he is just as good as dead. Yet, even though he's in a watery tomb, Jonah knows that God can hear him. It's almost like Jonah knew the truth that we read about in Psalm 139 when it says, Where can I go from your presence? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Like he knew that, but now he's starting to believe it. And when we, get to, when we start to get in touch with our surroundings, our head knowledge of what God is like becomes heart knowledge of what God is like. Because there's no place that you can be where he can't hear you. One of the biggest dangers, especially with how long lockdown has been going on, is that you can start to feel like you're all alone. That there's a place that you can be that even God can't see you. But what we read here, that's not true. There's no circumstance, there's no place that is too far out of his reach that he cannot hear you, that he cannot be with you. And in verse 3, we also see that Jonah, again, is becoming more in touch with his surroundings because he also is now saying that God is in control. Like, he's not just saying, like, when he was on the ship that he worships the God who made the land and the sea, but he's actually now believing that God is the God who made the land and the sea. Like, it takes him so long to recognize what that God was in control of all of the things that have been happening to him. Um, there was a, a, there's a story in Acts. Like me and Rachel were actually reading Acts this week with a friend from Cardiff, and one of the chapters we read through was the conversion of Paul. And if you don't know that, it it goes like this: Paul used to be called Saul, and he just he hated the church, and so there he was. He got some letters from the high priest that would give him authority, so that he could go up to the city called Damascus. And he was going up there so that he could arrest Christians there and drag them back down to Jerusalem. But on the way, Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up in this really bright light. And he tells Paul that he's not been defending God. Like what, That's what Paul's been, why he's been doing this. He thinks he's defending God. But Jesus reveals to him that he's actually fighting against God. And so Saul ends up being blinded by this experience. And when he gets to Damascus, God tells a believer there to go pray for Saul. And he goes and does that, and Saul's vision is restored. And it says this specifically, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. It's only when we are in touch with our surroundings, when we are aware of God, and that's when we can truly see. But there is a challenging truth in both of these stories that we kind of need to recognize. And that's that while it's their actions that led them into those situations, God was in control of the situation the whole time. Or in other words, God can and will let us fall into tough situations in order to get our attention. This morning has been all kinds of fun. <laughs> Just gonna put it out there, from internet issues to apparently the power cord not being completely plugged in or something like that. Um, we're just thankful that you're still with us. <laughs> um, anyways, getting back to Jonah. <laughs> uh, 
right? I wanted to just share with you that God uses situations that sometimes seem very difficult to get our attention. The question should be, uh, should be that as we're reading about Jonah and it's seen that it took Jonah to get eaten by a fish before he turned to God, the question we should be asking ourselves is that how far down do we have to go before we turn to God? In verse 4, we see Jonah realizing that there is hope in the Lord. He talked about how he will get to see the temple again. And there is more significance to that phrase than just him saying he's going to go to this physical place and see a really cool building. Because remember, the temple represented the actual physical location of where God met with humans. Like it was more important than just being a building. So when Jonah is saying, I'm going to go to the temple again, he's saying that he's going to be able to enter the presence of God again. And also by saying this, Jonah is saying that he's trusting God will save him. Because remember, he's in the belly of a fish. Like for all intents and purposes, he should be dead, but he's not. And I think maybe it's finally clicking in his head that God's not going to give up on him. (laughs) That God is still with him and that God's going to save him. In verses 5 and 6, we see that Jonah has come to realize the direction that he has been going in because he talked about how he kept going down into the ocean, how he was sinking down. But then he says that God is the one that's going to bring him back up. And all of this hope of being brought up and all of everything he's been praying about really kind of, it all builds to verses 7, 8, and 9. Because in verse 7, we see that Jonah knows that God will hear him. In verse 8, we see that Jonah knows that his only trust can be found in God. And in verse 9, Jonah knows that salvation belongs to the Lord. In these last few verses, Jonah compares hope in God to hope in idols. And that could be because maybe it's a reflection back on the nation of Israel. Because Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And if you don't know what I mean by that, essentially at this time, Israel was split up into two countries. You had one country in the north and one country in the south. And the northern country, when it was established, when they split, they set up these two idols and they said, oh, these are the gods that you're going to worship. So it could be Jonah reflecting back on his fellow countrymen who think that these false gods can save them. And another way to look at this is that it's a reflection back on the sailors from chapter one, because originally they called out to their own gods hoping that their own gods would save them. But it was the true God that saved them from the storm. And while both of those are true, I think one of the other pictures that Jonah is really trying to drive home here is that God is just in control of all things, and there is nothing that can compare to his power. And the reason I say that is because the Bible uses repeated images to drive points home. Like, if you read the Bible all the way through, you'll start realizing there's certain, like, motifs that just keep showing up over and over and over again that all represent the same thing each time. And the sea is one of those things. It actually, it represents chaos. And if you're wondering, Shelby, how do you know that the sea represents chaos? Well, I can tell you that the Bible tells me on the first page of the first book in the first chapter. Because if you go to Genesis 1, verse 2, it says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, 
the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The picture that that those that word should give you is that the world was literally just chaotic waters. There was no form. There was no order. It was just water swirling around and God was above it and God goes into this chaos. He brings the land up out of it to make order. And so that's why this image is also of God being a rock in the midst of a storm is also a powerful image that's used throughout the whole Old Testament. It's also why when Jesus is giving his parable about whether you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand, that he says it's the sea that comes and tests whether your foundation is true. And this picture goes from the beginning of your Bible all the way, all the way to the end, because in Revelation, when it's talking about the new heavens and the new earth that are to come, it says this, and see if you catch the detail that I'm trying to get across here. It says in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I'm, I'm hoping you caught that there, that it says the sea is no more. Chaos will be taken away. So when Jonah, while in a fish, is saying that salvation belongs to the Lord, he is saying that there is no situation that God cannot completely control. There is no circumstance too great for his reach. Because even the chaotic waters that is surrounding him are still under the control of our all-powerful God. And if we turn our eyes to anything but God and expect that thing to save us, we forsake our hope in the one thing that can save us. So the question should be is, where does your salvation come? Are you hoping in something other than the Lord to get you through whatever circumstance you are in? And so we may read this and think, wow, Jonah has repented, he's turned from his way, and yet... When we look closely, we realize that Jonah is just still standing up on the inside. Because, I mean, Jonah now knows that he can't fight against God. Jonah knows that he can't run away. But Jonah never says that what he recognized what he did was wrong. Right? Jonah was so focused on his hatred for the Assyrians that he became out of touch with his surroundings, leading him to cause the lives of other people to be put into danger. Yet Jonah doesn't realize that he should be okay with God saving people that he hates. He doesn't realize that his, the consequences for his actions. But all he realizes is that he can't get out of what God wants him to do. He's being forced to sit down, but not because he wants to. And so God saves Jonah from a watery grave and, I mean... It's kind of funny how it puts it. I mean, the Bible right there, the last verse of chapter two, it doesn't put it in a nice way. The Bible just puts it very bluntly. The fish vomited out Jonah. And that's just, I mean, it's a funny picture in your head. It could also be kind of a gross picture in your head, depending on how you picture it. But either way, it's okay to read that and just kind of laugh. So what? There is a phrase that Rachel hates, like this, uh, she just absolutely hates this when people say it, and it's fake it till you make it. And the idea of that phrase is this, that even if your heart isn't in whatever you're doing, you just act like your heart is in it, and eventually your heart will 
be okay with it. Like you'll just somehow, it'll like change your personality somehow. But that's not how things work. Because if you get sick, if all you do while you're sick is handle your symptoms, but you never actually get rid of the thing that's actually making you sick, you're never going to get better. And that's kind of what Jonah was doing with this prayer. Jonah was recognizing that God's hand in our situation. Um, He was realizing that no matter how far down, uh, God can still hear us. He was recognizing that it's not, that it's only through God that anyone can be saved. Like those are all really important things for us to know. But what we see in Jonah is this. You can believe all those things or you can know all those things and still have a heart disease that is eating away at your heart. Jonah took the first steps towards confronting the disease in his heart, but he never made it past the symptoms. He started to get in touch with his surroundings, but he never realized how his actions damaged those he had interacted with. And that's the challenge for us today. We need to be a people who are more than just a group that know things about God, but we live out those things that we know about God. That those truths change our hearts. And so that the disease called sin that's in there can be cured. So are you following God because you have to or because you want to? Or I guess a better way to ask this is, are you standing up on the inside? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being a God who hears us no matter where we are. Thank you so much for being a God that can save us no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. Thank you so much for being a God who is in control of everything, even when things are chaotic like cameras turning off randomly or internet acting up. God, you are still God in all of those situations. I pray that those truths that we know won't be just things that we know, but things that we actually believe that our head knowledge will become heart knowledge. That as we go around, we will live out these truths. And we won't live out these truths because we feel like we're forced to, but because we want to. God, I pray that we, are, we will be a people that when you ask us to sit down, we will sit down because we want to sit down, not because we're being forced to. We thank you so much that you are a loving God, that you still seek after us even when we try to run away from you. Thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you will do. In your name, amen.